You're listening to CJMP 90.1 FM, Powell Rivers Community Radio. Radio, 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 radio. For schedules, podcasts, and live streaming, check out our website, cjmp.ca. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cjmp90.1 FM. This week's episode of CJMP News, we are a community-led news source broadcasting from our Moraine Avenue studio in downtown Powell River, and we are broadcasting to you live from the coast of the Salish Sea and the traditional territory of the Tlaman people. My name is Carrie Swiggum, and I'm here with Peter Harvey. Hello, Carrie. Hi, Peter. And Yanni Weiss is operating the soundboard. Thank you, Yanni. Hello. And we have a great show for you today. Mayor Dave Formosa will be here for a live in-studio interview in just a few minutes. We also followed up with Regional District Director Colin Palmer in his remarks about gender-neutral language at last week's Union of BC Municipalities Conference in Victoria. City Councilor Caroline Leishman and Aaron Innes also weigh in. And we also catch up with Nicholas Simons to talk about what's going on in the Eldred Valley. And uh, actually, this week has been uh, pretty busy in terms of news. Um, and uh, we've only got an hour for you. Last week we played a teaser of an interview with John Wright, who is a local chef and also a world-renowned drummer and musician who lives off the grid in Lund. And uh, he announced his band's retirement last week after 35 years of playing live. And he came into the studio this past week. If we have time, we'll play an excerpt from that interview. And another person who came in this week, Chloe Smith, she's the co-fundraiser of the Library Board of Trustees and talked about how building how the library building delays are affecting their fundraising. First up, though, are a couple headlines for this week. Thank you. And now for today's top news for Friday, October the 7th. An appeal hearing has been scheduled by a candidate for the office of Hagus in last month's Klahama Nation's elections. Vern Piel is requesting a formal meeting with the elections officer. Fred Schniffner about a decision about the being, uh, about a decision he made, rather, to disqualify the candidate. That hearing is scheduled for Monday, November the 7th, and that will be at 10 a.m. in the Town Centre Hotel, and that's open to the public. Paul River's source of drinking water is secure for a few more years. According to a release from the city, they've received news that Paul River is the recipient of $3.5 million in provincial and federal funding to upgrade the current Haslam Lake water main. The city will also be kicking in the remaining $700,000 to complete the project, which is already set aside. The current water line is quite old. It was built in 1961 and is made of concrete. And, of course, that means it's seismically fragile and nearing the end of its useful life. Director of Infrastructure Tom Bertig said the new system will be engineered to cover the city's projected needs, not only today, but into the future as well. And the Powell River School District is also in receipt of provincial dollars this week. More than $90,000 will be put toward adding an additional bus route for students with disabilities and to provide transportation for elementary school students for after-school activities. And that is your CJMP News Briefs for Friday, October 7th. You are listening to Powell River Community Radio on 90.1 FM and streaming online at cjmp.ca. Stay tuned for an interview with the mayor coming up next. Bench, an 
Lotus and the Wildflower with their song Honey Bee, and that was recorded in Paul River locally this past year. Not their first album either, it's at least second or maybe even third. I don't know, they're they're pretty prolific. I see them playing often in town too. Yeah, and Julie, of course, who plays the ukulele. The, the ukulele, mm-hmm. yes, and how can you not smile when you hear ukulele music? I, I don't know. So, and that like song was, was Honey Bee? Yep. Okay, well, speaking of bees, what, what do you think of when you hear the word bee? Okay, uh, how, how about as a work party? Okay, tell me more. <laughs> or like a quilting bee, I guess, would be an example. The Friends of the Library Art Chair, are, they have a bee coming up. Okay. Uh, that will be this Tuesday. Oh, you know what? This, past, <laughs> this was last Tuesday. <laughs> okay. I hate it when that happens. And, so and what right was place. this? <laughs> <laughs> and what was that, though, Peter, in case people want to wonder what they're missing? Oh, well, they, bas- they were given 60 wooden chairs. And they sanded and primed them and let, let local artists paint things on them. Oh, neat. Okay. Maybe even bees. So maybe we'll see that at the library when it opens? Yeah, well, let's see. Point. I don't know if it says what will become of them after or how soon. Okay. Anything could, else uh, going on? We contact Maureen Turney at 485-6202 to find out more. I bet you they're for the quilting office, the quilting place. The, the quilting place. did it. it was, well, that, that, wouldn't, that makes sense. And they're up at the uh, barracks up in Cranberry. Oh, okay. oh the... Uh, yeah, where the um, soccer and the yeah, quilting off, they have the quilting place there, and they have mm-hmm. the sea cadets, air cadets, okay. uh, this is army uh, cadets. Mayor Dave Formosa has joined us in the studio, in case anyone didn't recognize his voice. Welcome. Welcome. We'll Thank you. We'll be talking in just a second. It's something that is coming up, and I've done this myself. It's a lot of fun. It's a be- beautiful spot, and that is the 21st annual Loon Lake Race. Okay. Mm-hmm. At Loon Lake, us old-timers know it as Loon Lake, and for other people, it's Inland Lake. It's a 13K or 7K. Uh, you can run it for 13K or 7K or walk and bike it for 13. Okay. Can you cut across the lake? and? Um, Unfortunately, cheat, cheat, not. Yeah, no? Okay. Unless you can walk on water or run on water, <laughs> which you have to be going pretty fast. The earliest of those two, which is the walk and bike portion, gets underway at 10, and then an hour later, the, the both running events start. So okay. register uh, anytime, as soon as possible, because that's coming up Sunday, and you can do that at Avid Fitness. Okay. All right. Well, now the time is almost 10 minutes after 12, and if you're listening to our rebroadcast on Saturday, the time is 10 minutes after 11. Expective high of 12 degrees for Friday with showers. 
So uh, Paul River is in the midst of a building boom. That's the message from City Hall, who are considering the idea of hiring another person just to handle property and contract coordination. So we sat down with the city's planning department yesterday and have an excerpt from that interview, which we'll play for you now. And when we come back, Mayor Dave Formosa will be here. He is here. Hello. Hello. (laughs) And he's going to talk a little bit more about how the city is growing and the associated challenges and gains. So I'm sitting here in the planning department at City Hall. It's kind of exciting. There's a lot of uh, maps around here. Um, Papers. Can you... uh, Briefs. Would you introduce yourself, please? I'm Tom Knight. I'm the Director of Planning Services, and I've been here for a little over two and a half years. I'm Jason Gao. I am the Senior Planner and lived in Power River for 10 years and with the city for seven months. No gray hairs yet, though. So we're talking about the uh, growth of Powell River, because people who are paying attention to home prices know that those are going up pretty quickly, um, and there's a lot of development permits in the works in City Hall, so I was hoping that we could just do an overview of kind of the overall picture of what's going on in terms of uh, planning and, and growth for the city right now. Yeah, it's good you're introducing it as numbers because um, that's what we track. And uh, when you look at the amount of housing that's being built from last year, we're double. We've had about uh, 26 uh, permits to date. That's the end of September 26. We've got five more on the board um, compared to that of 12 the entire last year. So we're more than double. We'll probably finish off well into our 30 uh, permits for single-family housing. And when you look at the total building value, we're over double. Uh, last year in 2015, we were probably just in the order of about $5 million And at this time. And up until uh, 2016 now, we're just about $11 million. So again, we're double. So it's just total telling us, you know, what's going on out there. You don't only see it in the increase in house pricing. You see it how quickly houses are selling once they're up. And you're seeing the amount of applications. And uh, we're here five days a week trying to get these things out because I think the important thing for council, particularly for the mayor, is is we're issuing uh, permits on a timely basis so that, you know, our development industry is out there pounding nails. And it sounds like everybody's uh, employed. And if anything, from what I'm hearing from the builders and the developers out there, it's hard to get uh, people to work on the projects that have already been approved. So that's a great incentive for those people out there who might be thinking about getting into the building industry uh, as a career. And there might be opportunities for uh, people looking at getting uh, qualified in the different aspects of the building thing. It's a, it's a great time, but it sounds like there's a shortage out there from what I'm hearing. Um, so I'll leave it at that. There seems to be an urgency, right, to move forward and get people in here. Um, so I'm wondering if there, what kind of challenges are you seeing in terms of the planning department? Well, I think it's interesting that uh, Tom is talking about, you know, kind of the built products, right? And that's really 30 new units. Um, but, you know, what we actually see a lot of is the, is the lead up to that. And so um, even just last meeting we were looking at uh, a total of 22 multifamily units being proposed uh, one f- a rezoning application and a, and a second development permit application that's really exciting because that's new product that hasn't there hasn't been a lot of that proposed in the last number of years so you know it's it's great um the meeting before that there was a rezoning application for you know 21 units of multifamily so uh the fact that we're talking about 30 building uh built buildings building permits and and completed 
single-family dwellings, there's actually a whole uh, chunk of, of proposals coming down the line that are multifamily and and even further exciting, I guess, in terms of numbers for this community. So that was Jason Gao. He's a senior planner with the uh, City Hall Planning Department, as well as Tom Knight, who's the director of planning. And um, they regularly speak at uh, council meetings, so if you want to go and ask them any questions, you can actually go to a meeting and do that. Um, but now we have the mayor here. Uh, we are pleased to invite Dave Formosa in our studio. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, of course. Um, so they talked about some numbers in terms of uh, what kind of building permits we have right now, which is uh, a good sign, right? Um, but uh, with growth, there's also challenges. So I'm wondering if we can start off with um, what kind of challenges do we see right now with the influx of people into this community? And are we ready for a lot of people moving into this community right now? Alrighty. So a number of things that you've brought up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the challenges, are we ready? But I've got to just back up a little bit. You would suggest to folks that if you want to hear, you know, the uh, director of planning or the senior planner speak on these issues and ask questions, actually, you can't oh, really okay. come to city council yeah. and have access to them in the means of which okay. you might think. So I just will clarify that for you. Thank you. If the issue, if there's an issue on the agenda at the end of the meeting, you can ask questions. But that's mostly to council that you're asking. You're well. asking the yeah. questions of council or staff through the chair, which okay. would be the mayor at a council meeting, okay. right? right? So that's allowed. Um, but, you know, if the staff is there, and they, which often happens, mm-hmm. after the meeting, if they're about, then they're accessible. Okay. Um, if you want to be a delegation and speak to something... Then you go downstairs to administration, ask for the clerk's office, and you uh, ask to be a delegation. And it usually, you, you know, you end up on the not the upcoming council meeting, but the one forthcoming okay. thereafter. Uh, otherwise, just uh, go to the front desk at City Hall and ask to talk to the planners or such. But it's best to make an appointment. And so, just a little clarification. Sure. But thanks for the plug. Okay, so the city is respect. Uh, receptive to hearing uh, public concerns at any time. Well, very much so. Um, but let's go back to that question, though, um, in terms of dealing with this influx of people. Um, you know, I've heard anecdotally U-Haul station is full. You know, there's tons of people moving in. Um, are we ready for this amount of people coming to town? Absolutely. Um, you know, when we talk about people coming to town, uh, I was born here. I've been here 59 years. Um been on council now for eight years. Uh, Powell River has always been deemed by the higher governments to be a declining population. Uh, actually, we've been a steady population. If you consider we had 2,700 workers in the mill, we're down to 420, and the population has only um, fluctuated about 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. When you lose th- the main employer, goes from 2,700 to 420. That means that people are coming in somehow, infilling. Mm-hmm. So I always uh, said to these lower, uh, higher governments that I didn't appreciate them showing Powell River as a declining population because then it's hard to attract whatever you need to attract as a community. And uh, I always said that once the mill quit downsizing, we'll see growth. Well, that's exactly what happened. About three years ago, they kind of hit the bottom. I think they were down to 380. I think they went too far. Uh, they backfilled up to 420. We saw our first growth. Now, 
we're waiting for the census. Like, you know, mm-hmm. folks mm-hmm. are saying we're not growing. Uh, school district is saying they're not seeing more students or seeing less. Okay. Uh, now, I get that. You know, they go by the bursts. But what I do know and what I do see is I have seen some stats that are coming out from other agencies that are showing us between 1.7 and 3.7 growth in the last three years. Okay. okay, and they're just coming from different agencies that you read, you know, BC Ferries or Tourism or, you know, some government agency. And they have these numbers. They're not coming from City Hall. They're not coming from StatsCan. So we're interested to see what is really going to come out of that, out of this, uh, and we're happy to see that this government has put that back into place and made it mandatory. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is that we're at below one percent vacancy mm-hmm. for rentals. So that tells you that there's more people here because places are full, um, and that's a problem. Um, we are starting to see uh, issues of homelessness, like mm-hmm. actually see them. Yep. Um, I can't say whether it's you know. Um, deliberate or undeliberate use of money one way or the other, I don't know. But when you combine the fact that these folks have not had a raise for welfare since the 80s, which is horrible, mm-hmm. uh, and then the inflation, and then the impact. So we need to get ready, and we are. Like, we, we are starting to look at social housing. Uh, we are looking at, you know, we're hoping that we'll be successful with this $500 million dollars of uh, grant funding available. That's pure grant funding from the province. For affordable I, housing. For affordable housing. Yeah. I think it piggybacks on um, on another $300 million that was, uh, you know, um, advanced earlier mm-hmm. uh, program. So the thought is, is if we can build some new stock, and you heard uh, Thomas Knight, our director of planning, say that we're starting to see it. I know there's committees, Maggie Hathaway and uh, Rob Southcott, and the whole team. Uh, are working hard on getting together with, you know, Iris and all the other groups. You know, we have land available. Um, I know that Inclusion Power River has applications in. We're going to start to see uh, something happening in this regard. As you do, folks are going to move out of some of the places and they're going to upgrade into these new places, you know, and that'll make mm-hmm. other places available for people with maybe even less income, if you if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So if there's going to be a new unit, you know, all even if they're subsidized, it's still going to have a, a nut to crack. So um, so we're we're you know we're we're looking at that. We're working hard on that, and uh, but sometimes we get in our own way. You know, we have this great idea. You know, Caroline uh, Leishman uh, worked hard with the team to take the old Olive Devoe with the school district 47 they were ready to roll they kind of moved in there and then you know the changes the tremendous changes in the building code uh hit us square square in the nose we need a um you know a code review well that costs thousands of dollars you know what about the electric you know things that lock all the doors you know we don't want to lock all the people in they can't get out and fire And so then more funds are needed, more issues, more time, and it's frustrating. You know, we start looking at each other, pointing at each other when it's really all us at City Hall. we got to figure out mm-hmm. how this works, calm ourselves down, and realize we're in changing times. Mm-hmm. That building code is changing so rapidly, cities do not even know what's going on. Now, we're fortunate in Powell River that our only building inspector, which we're unfortunate, we only have one, we'll talk about that, but he's able to be kept up to date and go into the courses and learning. But the number two issue, number one issue, in at the second to last mayor's caucus I was at, uh, where all the mayors get together, we were up in Fort St. John for that meeting, was the building code changes and 
how rapidly and how many. Mm-hmm. And the mayor's complaining that people are coming into their planning departments and struggling. Professional carpenters, our own building inspectors. And so it's a problem. And so this is affecting how quickly we can get buildings done to Correct. let people move in. Um, library is a good example. The library is yeah. a good example. I wanted to ask you about it, but um, just if we have time, I think, because there are a lot of things to ask. Um, so uh, there was a vital signs report released in 2015. Um, no new affordable housing had been built for about 15 years, but now we're seeing signs of actually getting some of those things yep. uh, accomplished. Um, on it. One is, uh, looks like a development in Cranberry. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Well, yeah, that one there is, uh, they were just before council. They're looking at building town site uh, sort of compact homes. They're uh, across from um, the, used to be the body shop and the pottery. Yeah. Okay. And you'll see some action going on there. We um, had that group in. They're small. Looks like they're going to be affordable homes for sale. Um, I was pretty, you know, relentless and saying, gee, I hope you put some rentals in there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that would help, you know, everybody out mm-hmm. if, if that could happen. And they said they're considering. The majority would be sold, but they're considering maybe keeping something for rental. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does create, hopefully, some more, you know, lower cost homes that people can buy. Mm-hmm. And if they're in an apartment or if they're in a rental home and they go buy something affordable, then that place is available for rent. Mm-hmm. So, there is new stock coming. We haven't had new apartments built in Powell River since the 70s. I don't think there's been a new condo built since uh, the late 80s. Mm, okay. And we're now starting to see it. Well, it seems like a lot of people who are coming into town um, are coming in buying new houses. So that's, that uh, available stock is dwindling. Uh, new stuff is being built. But um, a lot of it's, uh, you know, it's, it's expensive. You know, these are people who have money, probably from Vancouver, mostly, I believe, is what I've heard. Um, is there any incentives right now for uh, developers to be building affordable housing in Powell River? Well, if you just... Look at the $500 million grant, yep. yes. Yeah, that, okay. Um, that's for private enterprise and social enterprise to partner. But on a city level, is there any... I didn't, I well, if, if you're building, you know, that's kind of where the development permit comes in. Okay. Right? And uh, if it's social housing, then you can look for certain uh, relaxations of something or other. DCCs was looked at, uh, whether you can do that or you can't do that. Um, but, uh, you know, the city is also in need. We need tax dollars. We need this infiltration of, of revenue. Like we're scrambling. I've been scrambling. I've been cutting for eight years. I'm tired of it, mm-hmm. right? And uh, But having said that, yeah, there there is incentives, okay. you know. And uh, again, you work with the planner and, and uh, you say we want to build affordable housing. We want to, you know, maybe do some, um, you know, uh, we want less parking so that we don't have as much land for cars, but more for more sales of square footage to make it more affordable. You know, it's in an area you can walk or you can ride your bike. And so all these things are being considered. But when you had said that there is a lot of homes being built, yes, they're starting. Mm-hmm. But there's been a tremendous amount of existing homes sold. Yes, that's what I, yeah, I yeah. get that impression. Um yeah, can we maybe shift gears just a little bit? Um, I'm, I'm used to, to hearing you say at city council meetings when you, you acknowledge that the meeting's taking place on Klahaman's territory, that, <coughs> excuse me, that they are friends and partners. Correct. And I was just wondering what sorts of partnerships uh, you see either happening now or that anticipate uh, coming together in the future. 
Like maybe water for one. Sure. Okay. So um, the partnerships we have with Quahaman Nation existing are on the PRSC lands that was purchased together between the city of Powell River, Saliam, and at the time um, Development Corporation, and Catalyst Paper. Subsequently, uh, Slyamon and the city bought out Catalyst, and subsequently Slyamon has now turned into Klahaman Nation. So the two, the city and Klahaman, own the balance of the PRC lands together. We own a water license and a right to uh, apply for a uh, run-of-the-river power project for um, winter power. And uh, it's uh, still a partnership. It still has merit. Um, but with this whole sightsee thing, you know, they're not going after this renewable energy as we hope they would. But there still may be something there or an opportunity to sell that license to some patient money. Um, we also um, are looking right now and discussing uh, with Klahaman helping them with building inspection because now they're a form of government. They are government. Mm-hmm. And so they've put in laws, rules, and regulations. So we've been, you know, working with, uh, from the city, helping Klahaman along the way. I know Marie Claxton. I know um, uh, Councillor Sandy Trombley, uh, myself, um, Stuart Alsgaard, all in the past, in a partnership-like arrangement, have been working, helping the community as it evolves. As of late, uh, you may have heard that we are going to be building a sewer system, a liquid waste system together. And while we're at that, you know, we're going to be looking at pr- providing hopefully water if, 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 uh, if that's able to happen. So there's another partnership. And, you know, these things don't happen everywhere. We are so fortunate in Powell River that we have such a good relationship. Sure, you have your differences, issues happen, but we work them out. We sit down, we get across from each other, we chat it out, and, uh, you know, we get things worked out. And we don't have a lot of those incidents, but every relationship has that. So, um, yeah, those are some of the partnerships we have. Okay. okay and we can achieve some like, savings through economies of scale by exactly. teaming up with them? Yes, um, exactly. Mm-hmm. We, we are hoping that, you know, the costs shared for construction mm-hmm. and um, running of the same, you know, uh, helps uh, save funds for their government and ours. Okay. There's no doubt. And I want to go yes. back to um, city um, growth, and you have been... Rep- excuse me, a proponent of uh, attracting new businesses to town for quite a few years. Um, so I, I want to give you a chance to talk about um, some of the um, um, new businesses that are coming in that you've been uh, able to work with to come to Powell River. Right. We're still working with a few people waiting to get some sort of some more firmer um, updates on our MOU. So I really don't want to get into all the detail because I'm waiting for a bit of news from uh, a couple of more firms. But... You know, we got the uh, medical marijuana license uh, situation come through. Um, we, you know, we welcomed uh, Wildwood Interiors into the community. Um, they build interiors for um, uh, restaurants, uh, chain restaurants, put them in a can, ship them off to the city, show up, put them together uh, in, in, inside their, uh, their new facilities, their leasehold improvements. We got lucky there that... Uh, uh, a teacher, a local teacher, or I believe she's um, actually uh, a counselor at Brooks, moved back to her hometown. Uh, the family business was in Surrey, and um, the husband came to uh, 
work with Scott Randolph in, in our office, mm-hmm. and you know they spent a number, you know, probably a good year looking for somewheres for them to yeah. b- bring their facility. Finally, got uh, it happened, so we were able to help facilitate the the move, and we're you know great to see the new jobs. Um, land-based agriculture, we've got uh, Hummingbird Cove spent about eleven million dollars on their tank uh, operation for uh, shellfish. And now they are looking at expanding into the PRSC lands. And um, there's an offer there for a number of acres of real estate and looking at food processing facilities. And we went after them. We said, look, you know, we knew they were looking outside the community um, because I got calls from folks saying, hey, what's going on? Why are they looking here, Dave? Um, I asked to meet with CC and her team. And uh, we've come to an arrangement now where they've made an offer on some property within the city. Uh, and their hopes are um, not only food processing of uh, seafoods, but also to have a transportation hub for seafoods between here and Asia. Um, we also have other interests from a group that are looking at uh, building Presto Logs, and that is to replace coal in China. And so we've been working with them for the last six months, ran into a few hitches, unfortunately, with the, the location and the structure uh, because they need specific uh, things for their accommodation of their um, mill. Um, and uh, we're trying to see if we can find a way to work through that. But, you know, they're phoning me every two weeks. And that, you know, 15, 30 jobs. Um, we're fishing. We're working hard. Yeah. Um, the uh, We're still working with uh, Pacific Coastal Airlines uh, on their project. It's a big project for us. And um, we're part of the way there, but we're not all the way there. And we're awaiting uh, that, that news. And that's for, a, um, call it a uh, aerospace um, facility for repairs, maintenance, and rebuild of aircraft okay. and resale. So lo- lots going on? Yeah. yeah. So we've just got about a minute left. Um, I'd like to give you the last word, if there's anything else you'd like to say about the growing city, um, the nature of how well, it's changing. Well, yeah, there is something I'd like to say. And, yeah. and um, you know... Folks, you know, know or don't know, I've been to Asia three times now. Um, you know, we've got uh, the Sinobright School. We've got a company called Eaton College looking at expanding here. They've purchased real estate. Folks don't know that. Uh, they're Asian descent. Um, we have an agent that we work with that brings uh, Chinese and other immigrants, uh, Indians, India, from India, yeah. uh, bring them in under the P&P program. And uh, they've been buying businesses that have been for sale for years. Nobody's purchased them. They're buying them. They're settling here. I interview the majority of them, see that they want to make their home here, and then I'll give them a letter of of recommendation to help them along the way, speak with the the immigration people on their behalf. And I just want to say to people that we need to embrace the, uh, the cultural change. And, you know, I'm saddened to hear some of the redneck type of... Uh, responses that I'm getting or hearing from, from colleagues or, or folks around around town. Like, come on, I'm an immigrant, you know? I don't know how many I'm sitting here with you that are immigrants. And we don't realize how fragile that mill is. Do you know what will happen to your land taxes if that mill closes? And they're already high. Mm-hmm. Or to your services. It would be devastating. So we're trying to help recreate ourselves from the industrial revolution to the communications revolution we were able to land 17 million dollars worth of fiber we chased that we got it so you know we're getting there 
but it takes everybody working together. And, you know, if you do have issues with a certain culture, you know, we're not going to be Richmond. Everybody go, oh, we don't want to see us being Richmond. You know, that ain't going to happen. We're, where we're located, it takes a certain person from these different cultures to want to live in an isolated community with us. Mm-hmm. The vast majority don't want to be here. They want to be in Richmond. They want to be in Vancouver. They want to be in Toronto. They don't want to be in Powell River. So I'm not worried about an onslaught and takeover and seeing our houses go to a million, two million, three million dollars each. It's not going to happen. But we got to start preparing ourselves for the new millennia. Okay, I think we're going to have to leave it there, but I'd love to continue the conversation at another time. If you're willing to come back in the studio. Anytime. All right, sounds great. This has been an interview with Mayor Dave Formosa. We'll be back after these messages. You are listening to CJMP News on Powell River Community Radio, 90.1 FM, and streaming online at cjmp.ca. Live Fridays at noon and rebroadcast on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Your voice, your community. So, Kevin, what is Radio Happy Hour? Radio Happy Hour, from what I've come to know it as, is a gathering at uh, CGMP uh, Tuesdays between 3 and 5 p.m. 3 to 5 p.m. Tuesday. Okay, good. And and what exactly happens there? So far today, I've learned uh, some of the technical side of radio, as well as meeting new people and understanding what the function is of radio here in Powell River. C'est magnifique. And the location is at uh, the station headquarters? Right here where we are right now. Excellent. In the moment. Fantastic. In the place. Hi, this is Mark Forsyth. You're listening to CJMP 90.1 FM, Powell River's listener-supported community radio station. CJMP is Powell River's source for all things local, news, music, events, and you. And I encourage you to become a sustaining member for as little as $5 per month. Visit cjmp.ca for details and help keep community radio alive and thriving in Powell River.
that, of course, is the lovely Alison Krauss doing You Say It Best When You Say Nothing at All, which was requested by Tom Knight, apparently, earlier. And Carrie, I don't like it when you say nothing at all. Oh, Peter. Okay, if you were in the studio just now, you heard us all crooning uh, that song to at the top of our lungs. <laughs> Not bad. Three-part harmony, actually. Maybe, maybe it's better if you weren't here. <laughs> I think it's better if they weren't here. They can just use their imagination. It's best imagined. Because we sing it best when we sing nothing at all. Exactly. So this week, getting back to some seriousness, gender-neutral language was in the news. Uh, This past Wednesday, community members gathered outside a University of Toronto building to protest a series of lectures that were offensive towards trans and non-binary people. Professor Jordan B. Peterson received backlash on social media and through demonstrations for his opposition to Bill C-16. The bill aims to amend the Canadian Human Rights Charter Act to add gender identity and gender expression to the list of prohibited grounds of discrimination. Metro News Toronto quotes the professor as saying that there is insufficient evidence to support the idea of a gender spectrum and is refusing to recognize another person's right to determine the pronouns they wish to be addressed by. He holds that despite all of this, his views are not bigoted. But assigning gender to people does have real-life consequences. Earlier this year, a trans teen from South California, Southern California, killed himself after being taunted by hospital employees who kept calling him a girl, despite having stated his identity as male. This week, the teen's mother has filed a civil lawsuit against the hospital, claiming medical personnel violated federal and state laws that protect against discrimination during Kyler's stay. And gender-neutral language has been making local news as well. Colin Palmer took a bit of heat this past week for comments he made at the UBCM conference in Victoria. It's an annual event where BC municipalities from all over the province come together and share their experiences and take a united position on different topics. While regional uh, district director Colin Palmer was there and spoke against a measure to include gender-neutral language in local government. We got in touch with Colin Palmer to ask why he was objecting to the use of gender-neutral language. Well, I, I object to sexism. I object to people uh, picking on people who have different genders. But <clears throat> I'm also concerned that people are chi- trying to change the language that we all speak for the wrong reasons. There are people out there who are trying to find every word that begins with man, and they're trying to change it for Lord knows what reason. So you've got mandate management, manipulate, mandible. I mean, they're all words that have everything to do with the Latin word manus. And I am sick and tired of people, unknown people, standing up in various places telling me that I have to speak a different way when they don't know what they're talking about. Right, so, so you're looking at the etymology of the words and, and saying that people's need to, to change those words doesn't reflect the history of those words and where they're coming from. Yeah, they're literally trying to, these people are trying to rewrite the dictionary. Right. And I don't know who they are, and I don't know what their qualifications are, but it's ignorant. A lot of the people that are, are interested in, in changing words like, uh, well, for example, like manhole or, or alderman, feel those words exclude them, or, or, or feel the words could at least be more inclusive. Um, well, they don't, they, they don't know what they're talking about. That's my problem. They literally do not know what they're, what they're talking about. And then they're saying to me, you have, you have to change the word, and if you don't, 
there's something sexist about you, or you know, you're not appreciating, you're not respecting other people with gender issues. And I'm saying I'm sorry. Uh, I just can't respect your views when you're trying to tra change words that we all speak for the wrong reasons. So, for example, is another one that people go out and man the fire truck. Well, that's got nothing to do with gender. But people use these phrases, they've used them for hundreds of years, and suddenly these unknown people are out there telling us, oh dear, it says man, we have to change that. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, in, in that case, a, a word like staff is very easy to replace in, like, you know, staff the fire truck or staff a booth. Now, if Yeah, but wait, just, just a minute, no, the reason is wrong. Right, although, you know, historically and even presently, uh, women are marginalized in the workforce. And I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. And I also agree that should be equal work for equal pay. I mean, there's a lot of abuse of women, and it has to stop. I agree with you. But I'm objecting to people who are changing the English language for gender reasons, when in actual fact, it's the derivation of the words that is important. I've got nothing against gender issues at all. At all. All I've got is a problem with people rewriting the dictionary for the wrong reasons. And CJMP also got in touch with Caroline Leishman, another director on the regional district board, to see how she felt about the opposition to using gender-neutral language. We are here with Caroline Leishman. Howdy city councillor and also on the regional district board. Yes, correct. And we're, we're here today, we're talking about gender in language and policy that relates to that. So you're recently at the Union of BC Municipalities Convention yep. and uh, and the resolution was put forth. Could you tell us a bit about that resolution as, as it relates to gender and language? Yeah, so um, yeah, it was a resolution put forward by Maple Ridge and it was titled Gender Neutral Language. I'll just read the, the resolution. Uh, which says, whereas the use of gender-neutral language is professionally accurate and respectful, allowing local governments to conduct their business in a manner that is inclusive of all members of their communities, and whereas the federal and provincial governments have already enacted policy to use gender-neutral language such as the Federal Plan for Gender Equality, therefore be it resolved that the provincial government be requested to require the use of gender-neutral language in local governments across British Columbia, bringing local governments in line with the provincial and federal standard of document and policy writing that recognizes the value of gender equality as recognized in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And it was endorsed by the Lower Mainland Local Government Association. And it came forward and, uh, yeah, a lot of us thought it was kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> it's already been done provincially and federally. So A lot of people uh, maybe even thought it had already uh, been requested. Yeah. yeah, because the federal and provincial government have already been going down this road, and obviously we've been making great strides. You know, 30 years ago this kind of started, where we started trying to be uh, more e inclusive and recognize equal equality. So yeah, My mom was, uh, was on council back in the 80s, and actually she remembered, when I was talking to her about it after, she remembered being on council in the 80s 
when she was she was called an alderman and it, she said it used to bother her because she was a woman and she felt like why am I being called an alderman and back in 1990 uh, it was at the UBCM asked the provincial government to change the title of municipal elected officials from alderman to the gender neutral term councillor. Do you think it was a particularly difficult change to go from alderman to councillor? I really don't think it was. <laughs> In terms of numbers, there's what, 2,000 delegates at the convention? Yeah, somewhere? something like that. Yeah. And, and not everybody goes to the resolution sessions. Right. It's very interesting, actually. But um, it is really important, I think, to participate in that part of it because you're voting as a delegate. You have to hold up your voting card. And you know it's and you have that opportunity that if, if a resolution is going sideways, you have that opportunity to get up and speak at the pro mic or the con mic, in, either in favor or against. So how much opposition was there to the, uh, the resolution about this gender-neutral language? Well not there was a couple of people and and initially when it it was one of those ones that in reading it you thought it was just going to pass i didn't expect to hear a voice that i that was familiar to me at the con mic so area c director colin palmer got up and spoke in opposition to it which was shocking to me in a way it was it was interesting to hear his opposition to it why is this an issue that's important for you? Well, it's, I mean, partly being a woman, I, I think that, you know, women would like to be seen on a level playing field as men. And being at the Union of BC Municipalities Convention, I look around the room and there's a, I'm sorry to say it, but there's a lot of old white guys in the room. There still are. And there, and that becomes an issue. Like we have, we had a resolution last year about rape culture and trying to prevent rape culture. There was a, a resolution this year um, about codes of conduct between councillors, like with councillors and delegates of convention, because there have been some kind of harassment between, you know, of usually men to women and um, wanting to uphold codes of conduct between all delegates so um being a woman yeah i'd like to feel like i'm on a level playing field and now you know in this day and age i mean there's a lot more there's a lot more freedom of expression and people feeling like they have they actually can now be free to be who they are and and sometimes that means actually feeling more comfortable being in a gender neutral environment and having people support that so i'm i'm absolutely all about us moving forward and trying to learn how to be more inclusive. And lastly, we got in touch with Aaron Innes, a local anti-oppression activist, to learn more about the importance of gender-neutral language, what it means to speak against inclusive language, and why this issue is important from a human rights perspective. It's important to me personally because I've spent my entire life being alienated from places that I want to be in and tasks that I want to do because of my gender. And, you know, in this particular circumstance, it's such a, a simple change that makes such a big difference in the lives of so many people. All of the people that we see in public clutching their pearls about using gender-neutral language and how it's going to somehow destroy Western civilization to use gender-neutral language, because it's really going to destroy the language. Like, it's just the most ridiculous argument. These are people for whom gendered language isn't a barrier. You know, so 
from an anti-oppression perspective, if something is not a barrier for you, you don't get to speak on whether it's a problem or not. It's not a problem for you, so sit down. We're wanting to hear from the people for whom it is a problem, right? Um, and so it's interesting that it's always people who are not negatively affected by these things that are going out of their way to espouse opinions about them in public. You know, and I think that that's true for Colin Palmer. It's true for um, Professor Peterson at U of T. You know, if you are comfortable in your gendered pronouns and your gendered position in the world, no one is taking that away from you by asking you to also make space for people who need other pronouns and other positions. And it's just so incredible to me that people will persist in opposing something that doesn't negatively affect them but is negatively affecting other people every single day. You know, having to admit that there's something that you didn't think of is certainly not a level of harm that can be compared to the amount of harm that, for example, people who live outside of the gender binary experience in terms of violence and marginalization every day. And gender-neutral language is a really simple way to help break down the idea that someone who isn't male or female is abnormal, because that othering is one of the things that contributes to violence. So in the case of gender-neutral language, it's really an issue of, yeah, it sucks to be like, wow, I've been making a mistake for a really long time, and maybe that's a little bit embarrassing. But discomfort and violence are two very different things, and we can't keep privileging the comfort of people who are safe higher than the safety of people who are unsafe. I don't know if you're still recording or not, but something that I would like to say to Colin Palmer is that, you know, you can hold whatever opinions you want as a private citizen, but when you put your hand up and say, I would like to hold public office, you're agreeing to set aside your personal opinions and speak for the broader community. And he's not doing that in this case. And I'd like to thank Yanni Weiss for producing that segment and to remind everyone that the show will be available as a podcast uh, after the show is finished airing.
that was uh, Don't Pass On Me by The Woods. And uh, we've got one more segment for you uh, before we go this week. A couple of weeks ago, CJMP covered a conflict in the Roberts Creek area involving land protectors, peninsula logging, and police. The land in question is crown land surrounding Mount Elphinstone Provincial Park. And according to the ancient Forest Alliance, the area being logged is composed of old-growth forests and dry excuse me, mature dry maritime forests. The park is described on the BC Parks website as a late successional forest with an exceptional diversity of forest mushrooms and described by the environmental group Elphinstone Logging Focus as home to some of the top mountain biking trails in North America. Local MLA Nicholas Simons and many others have supported a moratorium on logging within the crown land surrounding the park and are calling for a 1,500 hectare expansion of the park. This week, a video was released on social media showing protesters approaching machine operators in an effort to shut down machines during active logging. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend checking it out because it is uh, a bit harrowing. Um, You can see what's going on there. According to the group Elphinstone Logging Focus, operators continue to run machines dangerously close to the protesters despite safety mandates to shut down machines and come out of the cab in this situation. These, the Logging Focus website states that defenders are planning to make a complaint to the RCMP and that the Supreme Court of BC has been sympathetic to their cause. Now, we caught up with local MLA Nicholas Simons to find out how an area that's being contemplated for a provincial park can be subject to active logging. Yeah, I mean, there's a desire among many people that the park designation on land on the Elphinstone slopes be expanded. And some people suggest that the three separate park protected areas get joined by a, a, some sort of a corridor and other people suggest that there needs to be a broader area much beyond the existing 139 hectares. And I think that a land and resource management plan is necessary for us to be able to have a real discussion about this as a community. Um, so until then, we're just going to see this kind of conflict until we have a process for discussing this or for finding better solutions where we're going to have proposals and protests. And my hope is that the government will recognize the importance for, for a higher level land use plan. And uh, I'll be working towards that. Yeah, okay. I have a question that I guess is about the logistics of opposing or at least voicing one's concern about the logging that's happening. Yeah. Um, the, the people in Roberts Creek... You know, if they want to go and meet in person with the folks who administer these decisions, they would have to come to the Powell Riverside and and approach the BC Timber Sales Office here. Do you feel that the transportation issue of these communities also ties in to their ability to represent themselves at levels of government? Um, I don't know. Like, if people don't feel that they're accessing what's readily available to anyone in Powell River, for example, in terms of trying to influence government, then they should let me know. But, you know, a telephone call, um, there, if there are public meetings, then obviously there would have to be public meetings in the area where a proposed activity is taking place. But, um, you know, this is about government policy. They set this, They set the expectation of how much timber they're going to harvest, and companies are, you know, they bid on blocks and... BCTS does all their due diligence. If government regulations are being followed, it's a question of whether there is any appetite to open a discussion about um, more protected areas or not. How do we get to that? I think it's by having a higher level land use plan. Whether it's the local forestry office or the government itself, I, know, I think the message is being 
received. Um, I've, I've been speaking to the minister's office just recently about another proposed logging plan in the Eldred Valley. Um, people are obviously concerned about that as well. So, you know, these issues keep popping up, and if we deal with things under the current system without any plan or high-level plan, we can expect this kind of conflict to continue. It can be dangerous for people. People can also get burned out of just fighting. Uh... So um, that's a, a little bit of an interview that Yanni did with MLA Nicholas Simons, and we'll have the full interview on our website um, after this show airs. Uh, but we're, we're at the end of the hour, so we're going to say thank you uh, to everyone who contributed to this show, including Rabbit Eye, Yanni Weiss, Peter Harvey, and also the people we interviewed. And CJMP News is on every Friday from noon till 1 p.m. and rebroadcast Saturdays at 11 a.m. The show can also be heard as a podcast, along with all of CJMP's live shows, at cjmponline.ca slash podcasting. You can also find us on iTunes. Just search for CJMP News and subscribe. Up next on the Friday Live lineup is Rabbit Eye and 1,000 Tiny Magnets. And if you're listening on a Saturday, then stay tuned for Out of the Woods. Have a great uh, Have a weekend. Have week, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Take a number.